Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So welcome to Face to Face on this uh, chilly day here in, uh, Jay I think is in Toronto, I'm just outside of Toronto. Uh, Jay, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my total pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. 
So your your new set of books, The Definitive Sankey, have come out by Andy Gladwin and Joshua Jay. And I want to read a quote for our guests, for our audience. Um, quote, he is pensive, introspective, and conflicted in his views on magic. He reinvents himself on purpose, creates problems to solve, and is forever pushing himself to explore new areas. Close quote. So is that a pretty good description of who you are? Yes, except the pushing yourself. If you jump out of a plane and you free fall, you're not willing yourself to fall. You're not, no one would say, look at him go, what a, what a driven soul falling, plummeting to the earth. You'd never say what a, a driven soul. There's a suggestion of choice in the description right, I just heard right. you read. I don't have the choice. Oh, interesting. So, I really don't. The reinvention thing and the changing things, it's, you know, it's more akin to that, oh, so dust covered, which is paradoxical because it's going to be under the water. Thing about a shark that never stops. If it stops, it dies. They have to keep moving. That's more the way I am. I don't think a shark, a shark chooses to be that way. And I definitely don't haven't chosen uh, to change careers as many times I have. Uh, all sort of within the creative field, entertainment. But uh, yeah, I just I just keep hitting these parts that every five, six, seven years or something where I have this pretty much desperate need to shift things up. So for those of you who don't know, Jay is not only a, he's a good friend of mine, but also he's, uh, well, in my books, he's one of the world's greatest magicians. He's certainly one of the world's greatest creators of magic and teachers of magic. And uh, you, you might want to punch him up, sankeymagic.com. That's S-A-N-K-E-Y magic.com. We'll go over that again at the end when uh, Jay can maybe uh, push maybe his new latest book or item or whatever it is he's working on. But uh, check him out online. Jay, um, I did that quickly just you know moments before we got on the phone, 363,000. Thousand uh, uh, hits on Google. Would they all be about you? Um, did you did you Google hats? <laughs> because people That's know right. I like a good hat. Is That's that what's right. going on here? I Googled Jay Sankey, and oh. I don't know why I did it. Came back yeah. in all of zero point one seven seconds. I got three hundred and sixty thousand. Uh, my guess, my guess is at least fourteen of them okay. about me. Okay, that's right. Um, but uh, you'll also find, but yeah, there are very few Jay Sankeys out there. But there yep. are a few funny. There's a Sankey Rodeo School. Kid you, <laughs> you not? Kid you not? I didn't know there's that. A Sankey yeah. design of keg beer keg. Sankey design. Okay. That's very big, and I think actually owns the market in the UK. In, I was going to say Norway, but yeah, okay. well, yeah, yeah, it's right. As opposed to Detroit, <laughs> the Europeans ex- express uh, disbelief by saying Norway. <laughs> That's right. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, but but a lot of them are going to be me because I've been doing what I do for thirty or so years, and I've been lucky enough to be able to make a dent in a few different kinds of communities. So, a lot of them are going to be me. Now, you just uh, so speaking of uh, communities and making a dent and so on. Did you not just come back from England? Um, and we're close enough friends for me to know enough about it, but not quite enough about it to actually tell people that we are friends. Um, what was it again? You got some kind of Lifetime Achievement Award, didn't you? Yes, and I think the emphasis on, is on the phrase, some kind, some type. <laughs> That's and right. then a Lifetime Achievement. Uh, t- achievement, perfect, <laughs> Lifetime Achievement. Um, yeah, I, I was over there. They were very gracious and asked me to come on over, and uh, they uh, gave me an award, a very nice bunch of people. So this means these kinds of things mean a lot to a lot of people. I mean, was this was this the magic circle? Was it was it uh, was it a big society? What, who, no, who? no, it was actually uh, mostly my relatives. <laughs> uh, it was <laughs> no, no. It, it was uh, I, it's it's a group of what is it? It's it's not. I, we wouldn't call it a society. It's just I think it's um it's a popular event over in the UK, and every year uh, for a while they've sort of decided to uh, to find somebody who's been in magic for a long time and they feel made a significant contribution and then they, they give them this award. It's, you know, I've been lucky enough to get a couple of those. 
Um, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's very odd to be at my relatively young age and get a lifetime achievement award. There is this sense that people are saying, uh, "You're over, you're done, and bye bye." Right. And and you don't buy that for a second. Oh well, no, I mean facetious, of course, because that's not the sense they gave me. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, it is, you know what it could be, though? Socially, it's kind of interesting. When people give you a Lifetime Achievement Award, maybe there is something psychologically to be said for the idea that they are full up of you, that they have you locked into a brand, that they are kind of replete with your thing, yeah. and at that point, you can shake and jive and jo- you can go on to other things, but basically, for that group of people, you will always be the X. That's who you are. So maybe Lifetime are, yeah. Achievement yeah. is like putting a cork in a bottle but imagine me upside down doing a handstand. I'm wearing no clothes. Yeah, or the well. In your case, the bottle would be full of holes. Uh, ideally. Yeah, that, in my, that's 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 how I have any. Well, I mean, I'm looking at it here on my desk. The definitive Zanke. Right. You know, sort of implies to me there's well, you've, it's been done. And yeah. Jay is done, and he's been defined, and so. But there's also, I think, a sense. You know, if you really are. Uh, doing what you do and you don't have that choice, as you said earlier, which I wouldn't mind exploring a bit more with you, then you're not done. No, I'm far from done. I, you know, I mean, the way, the kind of person I am is someone who wakes up uh, and there's this real sense, for better or worse, that I've just begun. Right. That's yeah. really how I That's feel now. Interesting so, that you say for better or for worse, too. But, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there's ups and downs and uh, there's upsides and downsides to that. Uh, there is a sense for me of you know, there's that adage about you can never have enough of what you don't really need or what you don't really, yeah, what you, don't, you can never have enough. That you, so if you go to something and you keep seeking to have some sense of fulfillment with it, but it's actually not the key that's going to fit your hole, so to speak. Right, right. And, um, and I do think there, there is a sense of uh, me trying to arrive at some place of, you know, satisfaction. Or as I tell people, and I don't mean it in any false modesty way, I'm never very impressed with me. And I really mm. wish I were, because mm. I think it would be healthier, and it would be great modeling for my kids that they could see, you know, directly and indirectly, okay, one of my parents is, was able to, uh, you know, appreciate their achievements, so to speak, and, and feel somewhat satisfied with what they do, and that's not me, unfortunately. So, so you talk about not having a choice. Um, do you mean that kind of in a, a free will versus a deterministic from a perspective, or do you mean this is just who you are, yeah, this is in the cards, but I, you, you, I mean, you still would be, you'd still consider yourself an existentialist, wouldn't you? You have the ability, freedom, choice, responsibility. Yeah, D- determinism doesn't enter into, uh, I don't have a choice, I don't feel like I have a choice to be anything other than Jay Sankey. At the same time, um, I do feel that Jay Sankey is not locked into a single uh, chain of events. So you could still be uh, a TV producer. I mean, you've written, you've done comedy, you've had a couple of very successful books, you did comedy for five years. I mean, there's so much we can talk about. But so, I mean, there's a, there's a sense which you could you could be a film director still at this. Oh, I, I not only could be, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm very interested in the industry in general, and much stranger, much weirder things have happened <laughs> yeah. uh, than uh, you know. It, it's not going to be next year for sure. For a few, that, that trajectory would be very odd since I'm not even up to my knees in any kind of directing or writing. Or any, at, the, at this point in my life, yeah. but ten years from now, boy, I can barely think of it. Apart from physical limits, maybe the NBA. Apart from that, <laughs> That's um, right. I can think of uh, yeah. yeah, because yeah. I know I know audience-wise, I, I sound very tall to people, but I'm actually about five foot five. Though for years. I thought I was five foot six. <laughs> That's for hilarious. Status, for, so, for decades, I was convinced. See, I've always known you were about five foot five because okay. one of the first, I'm going to share a story, and I, you probably don't even remember this, but ideally, uh, you were probably twenty 
81. I would have been about 18, 19. I think there's a couple of years between us. And we were doing a gig together. Uh, both Jay and I are magicians. We were flying up somewhere to, to Sarnia, I think, working with a group. Uh, that sounds right. Harper's Dinner Theater. There was about seven or eight of us. There was going to be a stage show and a close-up show. And I was standing uh, at the back, probably in a tux of some kind, playing with a pack of cards, waiting to go out to work for accountants. I can't believe I remember this. And you came out of the washroom and came over to me and stood almost on my toes and looked up to me because I'm, I'm six foot two, as you know. And you immediately started to ask me about my masturbatory habits. Right. And in one odd, and in some odd way, I knew that right there and then we were going to be very close friends. Now, wait a second. I think that's my lawyer on the other line. One second. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, that's candid. I, I, like I said, I, blessedly, blessedly, I do not remember that. And I'm not even sure it was me, Dave. Right? It may not have been you. Yeah. I bet it was me. It sounds like me. I'm a... I'm, um, well, what was kind of cool about I'm it on the trip intimate. home? I'm very intimate. We both sat on the, we both sat beside each other as a result of you know that, and and we kind of hung out on the flight home, which was what about an hour, right? And as a result of that, yeah, that's you know as as they say, the rest yep. the rest is history, and thankfully we haven't taken that kind of a deterministic approach either. No, the two of us. But um, so so, yeah, well, so maybe then the definitive should have come with a footnote so, regarding. Well, the title of your book, The Definitive Sankey. I mean, there, maybe there should have been a footnote about, about what's next. Yeah, and the limits of the notion of definitive. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. There's, I mean, I would not be surprised. In fact, I kind of expect that the vast majority of the magic I've created, the individual effects themselves, I suspect the vast majority of that stuff is behind me now. Right. Yeah. I worked for years to develop a brain. I'm a relatively smart person, and I, I think there's a lot of different things I could have done and can do still with my brain. And I worked for years to really get it. And uh, people who've done uh, poetry or screenwriting or musicians, they'll, they'll be able to appreciate this. That you know, I really worked my brain to kind of wander down familiar paths, kind of very habitual kind of creative thinking around magic tricks, and it affected my perspective on the world and my typical work day and all that. And I did that for years, and as a result, I was able to generate an enormous amount of material. But I've now, it took me a while, it took me the last maybe year, year and a half, I deliberately uh, opened up the windows, uh, shook the carpets, and uh, I've finally deprogrammed my brain uh, to think along the lines of magic and tricks and delusions, deceptions, to such a point that I now go days and days and days of a single thought regarding some deception, which for me, uh, I'm really pleased with that achievement. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, you know, there's so much I want to talk about. So that, that leads me to, uh, I think, uh, a logical kind of connection in the sense that, you know, you and I have been talking about magic and why isn't it respected and, and what is it about magic that some people seem to love and others don't. And there's this, you know, stereotypical magician in the tux or the, the clown in the birthday party and so on. And, and you've said one of the things that we need to do is to actually bring the public, the lay public, those folks who don't know the inner secrets of magic on board in a way that most magicians would turn their nose up at. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I, well, that was the presentation I made in the UK recently where they asked me to come and make that presentation. And I thought I could do some tricks, I could talk about this or that. And I thought, why don't I do an industry address sort of thing? Something about where I think we're at, how we got here, and where it would be lovely to go. And one of them An thought, industry address or address? Uh, address. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, yeah, and so this notion of um, of uh, uh, I'm sorry, that subject alone is so varied for me. I'd love to go back to what your inline was. What were you thinking of? What was the question? Well, it's mostly about uh, what I'm really trying to get to is this notion of bending the real. 
that you've talked about before where um, we've talked about magic, you know, magician appears, you expect the clown who does balloon animals. Magician, right. magician appears, you expect the guy in tux who, who, who produces birds. And most magicians around the world would, would just, like I said, turn their nose up at the idea of, of, of the world finding out how those things are done. Okay, so let, and yet exactly. you've, you and I have chatted about this idea that, well, hang on, maybe, well, more you than me, but maybe what we need to do is bring the world inside of what it is we do, and, and ultimately, you know, more respect will come out of it. Uh, okay, so the let craft me, will, will grow and evolve as a result of that. Let me, let me talk to that, and you stop me when you want, because I can, okay. this particular subject, I can okay. go on for about 30 minutes, because this was the president, so now I know where I want to dip no, in. Good, and okay. then, and if you wouldn't mind, maybe segueing that into the notion of bending the real as well. Sure, of course. Um, so, at the recent presentation, there were about two to three hundred people there, magicians, mentalists, hobbyist professionals. And I, uh, at one point, I wanted to make a point. I asked five or six of them, what do you love about magic? What do you love about sharing what you do with people? One person said this, one person said that. They had different perspectives, different takes, and I stopped and I said, every single one of those things people don't know about but we can share with no risk of people finding out anything more about our secret methodology. Hmm. All those things, the fact that you uh, love to entertain people, the fact that you love to remind people the limits of their perspective through your performances, the fact that you love managing personalities in a close-up situation, all these other sides. Magicians, good, talented magicians, particularly sleight of hand magicians, have astonishing skill sets that people don't know of. Manually, their manual dexterity is ridiculous. Their understanding of human psychology is amazing. As raw entertainers who can move from working for three people to 30 people mm-hmm. to 300 it's true. people. It's true. They work yeah. in space with, no, with very little scripting compared to professional actors. So they're an amazing group of people, and the world knows nothing about them because, unfortunately, this whole we got to hide the loop with our handkerchief that lets no one see. So there's that problem. The other issue is we've... Um, a few hundred years ago, you had magicians, and their magic posters would be very serious, and they had little demons and devils on their shoulders. And it reflected how the world saw them as mysterious and powerful and maybe a bit scary, and children never came to their shows. And over the last few hundred years, and then trickle down and shifts and things, we're now at a point where we're a laughing stock, we're a joke, and the first thing people think of is, oh, great to see a magician here, or here's a magician, too bad I didn't bring the kids. And one of the yeah. shifts there has been the difference between Superman and Spider-Man, because in the 1930s and 40s, Superman was the man. He was the world's most famous comic book character, and the thing about him is he had, he had secret powers, and he was a man, and he worked alone, and he could do amazing things, so he's a lot like a magician. But then in the 60s, Spider-Man came along through Marvel comic books and changed everything, because Spider-Man, first off, wasn't an alien which is what Superman is because he's from another planet. Spider-Man's a human. He's just like you and me. He's a bit with a radioactive bug. Yeah. He's got superpowers. However, he's got social problems. He's got problems with his work. He's got problems with his aunt, problems with his girlfriend. He's human. He, and he changed everything so that he became the world's most powerful Superman. And this notion, or the, the superhero, this notion of letting people inside to humanize magicians, mm. to let them in. This notion of transparency, which is a huge part of the zeitgeist and everything now in the culture. That's a, so this is one of the things I was urging magicians. We need to let people in, inside in as many ways as we can, and we're going to benefit enormously from it. So will people, too. And there's no, none of that has anything to do with the secret piece yeah. of metal in my shoe to make the trick possible. 
So, so, so talk a little bit more about humanizing magic. Is that, um, is that like a relational authenticity? Is that me being honest with the group of people I'm working with? Oh or? yeah. Well, of course, yeah. what, the, what does it begin with? It begins with being honest with yourself. Right. It begins with, uh, with, because, you know, we have this idea as magicians, we have this mythic ancient idea and it's out of date and it's archetypal and it is the capital, magician capital. And that character, mysterious, alone, um, uh, secret keeping, uh, that character in the age of Google is dead. That character makes no sense and is a laughing stock and, and a fantasy now in the age of Google. Our relationship to information has shifted so dramatically in the last 50 years that it's no surprise that the very uh, archetype or performer who t- for too long has based their identity on hidden information, mm-hmm. on secrets. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense anymore. I've been, uh, you and I have chatted about this. I've been at a table doing magic. I remember once doing a rubber band trick where two rubber bands kind of melt through each other. Mm-hmm. And at the table, someone Googled rubber band trick. <laughs> That's good awesome. The good news. That's hysterical. It's perfect. It's, it's magic. It's mystery in the age, because that's the challenge now. Where, what happens to mystery? We need, because, see, that's what we're talking about. I say that, you know, let's let them in, but, you, but how do we let them in and maintain mystery? And there's right, lots of ways right, to do that. Right, and right. one of the ways we're talking about, and you wanted me to segue to, and as a professional, I try to meet the needs of everybody. <laughs> that's right, And please. as a middle child, is the notion of bending the real, because bending the real, to sum it up, is to present deceptions or illusions. First off, it's not actually presented. Uh, a good example of bending the real um, is I have a black piece of paper, cardstock, and I fold it um, around, and basically I take this piece of paper with a couple of folds. It looks exactly like an iPhone. So I can be at a bus stop talking to this piece of paper and in the peripheral, no one looks twice at it. I'm on the phone and I'm getting heated talking to somebody on the phone. No one thinks this is magic or a magician or anything. I'm getting louder and louder and then finally I maybe say an expletive, I swear, and I take the phone into pieces. Now, when you do that, and if you don't look up and give this sense of a tada, this is deception without the tada. This is deception without the overt magician. It's not a presentation. It's not a performance. It's a gift. In the moment, it's a moment of mystery. And, and, and you've done this. Oh, I have done that. It's wonderful. And have you captured it on film? Or oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Now, have you done both? Have you captured it on film and then just done it for no apparent reason? No. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I have done it for no apparent reason. But uh, uh, and the thing I love about these kinds of things and, and trying to explore them is that now, because the ironic thing is the least mysterious thing you could ever present is what you do as a magician because you've framed it in context. Yeah. Well, well, this, people can always say, well, 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 I guess it's just a trick. Well, con- oh man, it's, I'm so glad you brought up context. So just before we go to context, though, so bending the real then is not, I mean, you can't even call it magic. Because the problem is, if you call it magic, it's got this, you know, you're, you're kind of like Heidegger in the philosophical community. You're trying to get people to speak about things differently and think about them differently. And yet we're, you know, if you, if you say a magician to pretty much anyone around the world, you know, unless you go into a deep rural Cambodian community, they're going to think guy in tuxedo for the most part. Oh, totally. Right? Oh, and or, or they think of, see, then you think of a David Blaine. Yep. Now, David true. Blaine, see, the thing about David Blaine is, you know, uh, you know, we can talk about the transition from Henning to Copperfield to Blaine et al., and I've really put a lot of thought into that and the differences, but you're still largely dealing with people, look at David Blaine, for example, um, who has the emotional range of a sex worker. 
you know, I was asking, because there's this old adage, of course, that Robert Houdin said, is a magician, is an actor playing the part of a magician. And back in the day, that might have been true. Yeah. But then it evolved to a magician is a bad actor playing the part of a magician, to now, basically, most of us who do magic, strictly speaking, we're not, I mean, real, the, the real actors, the talented actors who get into magic, they tend to leave. The ones who stay around, mm. you know, we're closer to game show hosts. Mm. And there's nothing mm. wrong with mm. that. Yeah. But how can you be a game show host? How can you be a presenter, frankly? Do, and, and share these, these um, and share these uh, kind of ideally uh, mysterious bits and moments. How can you do that in a way that lets people in? Let's people into, and there's lots of ways to do it, through scripting, through attitude, through persona. There's lots of ways. I do it all the time where, you know, my whole thing with what I do is the magic trick is misdirection for what's really happening. What's really happening is I'm connecting with you, sharing. We're, we're here together, and I love it when we get to this situation when I'm performing and sharing something with someone, and they blurt out something because they got excited by the moment. I'm being silly and off the cuff. It inspires them to do the same. And then all of a sudden, they forget about the trick. They forget about the puzzle. They forget about themselves. And they blurt out something, and you can see on their face that they've surprised themselves about what they just did. And to me, that's the best part. Because uh, great art deceives in order to reveal something. And uh, not just to entertain, but to reveal. And I'm very interested in revealing myself and giving other people good reason to reveal themselves. So I suggest I'm a magician, but that's actually misdirection for what's really going on. So is there some, uh, is there a bit of a Buddhist principle at play here? I mean, you've written a couple of books uh, that you, you know, Zen and the Art of, uh, was it Zen and the Art of Stand-Up Comedy? I, yeah, in fact, in that little, there were two books, Zen and the Art of the Monologue, because uh, I had lucky enough to spend some time writing and performing sort of live monologue pieces which weren't about comedy or magic. And then I also did uh, have uh, that book, yeah, Zen and the Art of Stand-Up Comedy. That's right. So, so is there a Buddhist principle here? I mean, this this sort of uh, um, being able to resonate with the moment, being able to stay with oh, the moment. Oh, very or? much so. I mean, yeah. first off, you know, in the arts in general, particularly in live performers, acting and uh, dance. There's a lot, you know, you can't go very far in any book without bumping into the importance of being in the moment, uh, not acting, but responding, these kinds of things. Behind mm. that, for me, too, is a very powerful sense of a shared identity. Mm. That, you know, to say, I am you. Is, is, is actually misleading in the sense that you've got an I, an equal sign, and a you, and that's all good, but the, the, the irony, the, the illusion there is that the equal sign even exists. It's not so much that we're all connected, it's that we're all literally the same quote-unquote thing. And so my belief in the importance of, of, of celebrating, exploring that primary connection is very Buddhist uh, and informs uh, all, uh, all manner of my work. I want to tell you a quick story. So Please. last night, uh, I'm, my son Spencer uh, has got a, a bit of a cut that probably didn't really need a Band-Aid, but he likes it when Dad puts a Band-Aid on his oh, fingers. Oh, yeah, so, but Dad likes it too. I do. I do indeed. And so Victoria comes in, my daughter, five, Spencer, seven, just for a little bit of context here. This is what it's all about. And I'm putting on the Band-Aid, and Spencer's getting a little annoyed that his sister's in the room, and she's clearly there. You can tell she's there to emotionally help. She's, she's concerned. She's, uh, she's grabbing a Band-Aid. She's starting to, uh, to, to tear it uh, open. Um, she wants to help. And he gets a little annoyed with her. I said, Spencer, you know, it's, it's okay. Victoria's here. Just, she's concerned about you. She's concerned. She just wants to help. And I'm sitting on the bathtub, and I'm doing this, uh, putting the, the Band-Aid on Spencer's thumb, and Victoria sits down beside me. And she, this isn't a direct quote, uh, but I have written it down, but something to the effect of, I don't even know what concerned means, and, and that's why I'm here. 
Oh, wonderful. Isn't that unbelievable? Wonderful. Like, right to the bone of it. Talk about context. She doesn't even know what the word means. I mean, and I've, 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 uh, with my students before, has said, you know, you don't, you don't go to a dictionary to find out the meaning. You have to be thrown into the moment. You have to be, you have to be using it. You have to be playing it out in context. Anyway, I just, I just thought the story was perfect with regard to what you were, you were saying Absolutely. about about the iPhone effect, the iPhone moment that you were creating for those people at the bus stop. And and you know, and it's a reminder. You know, because you and I are both, uh, you know, we have a lot of background in philosophy and, and thinking along those lines and university and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I reminded of the phrase, it's an old phrase only philosophers will know about gadfly, being a gadfly mm, in your mm, culture. Mm-hmm. And as a magician, fly in I the love, ointment. What's that? Fly in the ointment. Fly in the ointment. I take that as a, you know, my mom used to, you know, she'd drag me around when I was a young kid. She'd go into hardware stores and she'd go into grocery stores and everywhere she went to do any errand, she'd have to yank her head off to everybody. And lo and behold, uh, that's exactly what I do. And when I talk to people, I'm trying to do a few things. Mostly what I'm trying to do is charm them enough so they'll relax, so that maybe together we can find something, if not upsetting, a bit strange or unusual in the moment. And, and magic is a great way for me to remind people, not in a condescending way, soapboxy way. I try to do it, you know, uh, I'm dealing with a number of things, and on a, I, I'm in the situation on a number of levels they're not aware of. And so with that, that inspires in me a humility, and the people sense that, and they relax. And my, um, but one of the great things about magic is that in humility, I can remind them of the profound limits of their senses, their thinking, their perception, which in the age of Google again, when we walk yeah. around thinking we know everything, is an enormous, I think, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a very privileged position and a real boon to people I encounter. It's great that you're able to do that, and I think that's one of the gifts that magicians can bring, for sure, to people, is to hopefully shock them out of these, uh, uh, well, art is, uh, to me, shocks of recognition, but that the, the we could shock people out of these moments of uh, their, their structure and their framework and the what they would call the banal and the average and the everyday, and yet it's the stuff that life's made of. Um, oh, absolutely. So would you, you know, magic, to me, I've certainly performed uh, for many years, know enough that, you know, the subtleties, the nuances, etc. So is it all in the details for you? Do the little things really, truly, is real change incremental, Jay? I mean, do, do, uh, I hear do you know what I mean? Do the little things make all the difference in the world when it comes to that? iPod um, moment that you're creating or that new card effect that you've created a uh, Well, I mean, over? where that goes for me as a magician is the question of belief. Why do we believe what we believe? What are the ingredients of belief? And certainly, uh, I think belief can come from a great many things. None of them, you know, to create the perfect illusion to inspire belief in another person, for them to believe in a, in a, in a lie, in a deceit. There's no question you need to have an eye on the details because people are very canny. They can smell the toast burning from the other room in a nanosecond, the funniest little gesture. You know, when I've explored some of this um, bending the real stuff where I'm not a magician, where we don't enter into what I would call a dead ceremony where you pick a card, <laughs> you know I'm going to find it. And yeah, neither that's care, right. Neither of us care that much. You know, that's one of the tragedies of magic. It's pretty funny, you know. You, you, you know we're going to find the card. Yeah, that's right. Well, as I like to remind magicians in general, you know what? Cards are never, they were never lost in the first place. It's the magician that's lost, frankly. He needs, magician find thyself. Oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. It's much more to the point. So you'll, you'll, but you know, I find as a performer and, and, and a creator and things, it's, I wouldn't put uh, near the top the whole notion of uh, it's all in the details. I would put near the top about um, uh, more along the lines of 
um, being in the moment and, and, and celebrating the limits of what you can actually control. Because the notion of the details and minding them is, is certainly a cousin idea to a certain amount of control. And magicians are drawn to the control of situations. But my success and what I celebrate for what it's worth for me is a lack of control, is, is letting things go, is responding and going with things. So I'd say that's all the, sort of a different school than the details of things. You, you told me a... Um uh, one of the, I think it was one of your bending the real moments, uh, and and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh, a television show that I think you've been pitching, or or, or maybe even f- uh, farther along with than that later on, just before we wrap up. But uh, you told me a story about how you uh, maybe you were out on Young Street, you were at the Eden Center, and you wa- you were wandering along trying to give away a quarter. Um, to different people, and and you you actually throughout a day, couple hour period, whatever it was, you couldn't you couldn't do it. No. People would not take it. And that's the kind of um, upside-down inversion of stuff that I particularly love and really enjoy. Uh, you know, again, um, uh, I'll come right back to that directly in just a second, but one yeah. of the many, many tragedies of the modern magician is there is no real risk and almost no surprise. Hmm. We're magicians. We should, we should be challenging and provoking. We're, we're, we're obsessed with being mildly entertaining and dropping puns and hoping people will, will be patient with us because we're afraid they're going to send us out the back door to go entertain the kids and the dogs. And so we have this toothless, kind of smarmy, cliche group. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had my moments, too. I'm not above any of that myself. But when I'm doing something, uh, the, when I'm doing these bends, um, it, mm-hmm. it's, it, I have no them, idea. You call them bends. Oh yeah, I do. I call them bends. Um, it's a phrase. Uh, it's a it's a phrase I coined a couple of years ago, trying to find a term that would help myself mostly free myself from what a magic trick was, or an illusion, or even um, now. I'm more recently. I'm thinking more on lines of deception, despite the negative connotations. But um, so with a with a bend, when I share a bend with someone, I don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they'll do. I'm not sure what I will do when they do their thing, and I find that like fresh air after so many years and so I'm walking so I go up to someone I say excuse me I hold out a quarter I say excuse me um, may I give you this quarter or excuse me would you like a coin uh, and yeah I'm, uh, I spent about an hour and a half one day trying to give away a coin I couldn't do it and eventually <laughs> some guy walking along with some woman and they were both looking pretty rough actually kind of a rough couple um uh, uh, I sincerely think they might have been going around to the corner to, to down an alley to make some sort of CD exchange, if you know what I mean. Yeah. They were rough looking. He took the coin. He said, sure, I'll take it. And as he rounded the corner, he looked back. He said, I know how some days, how it feels to just want to give something to someone. Well, you're kidding. So it, it required it almost a fellow... Uh, to get someone actually, yeah, because money's funny, offering things in the street are funny, and we all are, you know, you would almost have to stand there for a minute for people to stop and sort of say, no, no, I am trying to give you this money. It's such a does not compute moment. It's very peculiar. And I mean, you know, knowing the work that I do, working in the nonprofit environment in the majority world and so on, it just, it makes no sense in a way, you know, seeing the, the extreme poverty that I've seen, seeing how everything seems to be, and I'm not suggesting for a second that it is, but everything seems to be connected to money. To, to, to The notion that somebody wouldn't actually take money from you is just, it, I mean, it's hysterical, it's tragic, it's enlightening, it's, uh, it's, in, it's beyond interesting. Um, it it kind of reveals, I think, a lot of things. But you talked earlier about um, the structure and, and, and having people standing outside of it. I mean, at least people were, were up against it when you, when you approached them and said, 
hey, can I give you this order? Oh, but exactly. They, but they weren't willing to break out. No. Oh, man, that's really interesting. So, so, um, so can you give us another example of a bend that you've done uh, recently? Uh, oh, sure, sure. Um, let's see here. What's, what's a fun one? Uh, one I've done a few times. Oh, my battery's sounding low, Dave, on the phone here. All right, we're one, almost I've, one I've done a few times is, um, first, you know, as a comic, I know that uh, there's a relationship to the big laugh and tension before the laugh. The comedians right, right. have a way of creating tension and then giving opportunities for release with humor, not with anger. And the two are often muddied and confused depending on context. You create tension, and it's amazing how the same joke that will make some feel people feel threatened, uh, threatened and mad and upset um, and quote-unquote offended will make someone else laugh, laugh hysterically. And so I love creating tension, and one of the things I've recently done is I'll, I'll hide a $20 bill inside a candy bar right. and go into a store, grab a few things, and secretly with some sleight of hand sort of introduce or sneak, sneak in the candy bar with the other things, put them on the counter, the, the woman will ring it up, and I'll go to my pockets and act like I have... And I say, I'm sorry, I forgot my wallet. May I take these home and I'll come back and pay you? Now, you've just created a lot of tension. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, uh, and then they say no, and they pull the candies back towards themselves. And I say, wait a second, wait a second. I think I know, I think I know. And I don't even tell them where I'm going. I pick up the item, and I tear it open. And they go, what are you doing now? You've actually destroyed their merchandise. But, but just before they grab it from me, I just pulled a corner out of the $20 bill. I say, yeah, I thought so. Look inside. And I go very slowly, because once a magic moment has come and gone, you only have the memory. Yeah, yeah. So I want to make sure this lingers, and I slowly pull it out. And so I've created tension in a very common way. He doesn't have money. And then through this deception, this bend, um, and I'm not a magician as such in that moment. I'm more of a quirky guy. I find a way to pay for the goods after all. It has a, a purposeful, uh, it has purpose to it. Um, and uh, people don't know where to put that. It yeah. makes no sense. And yeah, to be yeah. there in ground zero where people uh, don't know what to do with the thing. Uh, again, I feel very privileged and lucky to be able to see them. That's that's it's it sounds so great. I love it. Yeah. Hey, um, a couple more questions, and then and then we'll wrap up. Why are you such a family man? It seems like a maybe a silly question, but you know, I saw some artist slash performer interviewed the other night, and it was kind of one of the questions was, you know, when when do you find time to sleep? You know, you've created so much magic. You've written. You've performed. Why such a family man, and how do you find time for it? Ah, uh, yeah. What would I say there? Um, yeah, well, you know, and you, you're a family man yourself. You know that. That uh, I guess uh, I don't know. I feel very fierce. My love for my family is fierce. Uh, providing, I, I found, you know, in both girlfriends and with my wife, and finally with children, uh, serving other people, and not in a. I wish people would think of more of Superman than they think of Mother Teresa. But okay, serving okay. other people uh, has really helped me become a stronger person. I'm very aware of not a sense of sacrifice, but my own personal gains from taking my head out of my ass and focusing on the needs of others. Right. And so I've just got so much from that. And I just, I'm so humbled by my children and the responsibility of, of raising and caretaking these two beautiful souls and my wife as well. It just really resonates with, with me, and it's just something uh, I cannot compromise on. I must believe that I have I, everything else is fine, but I need to go to my grave believing that I did uh, everything and anything I could to serve my family while I lived. It just, it, it just means the world to me. I wonder to what degree that's going to help define the, define the definitive thank you part two. 
Well, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you know, a lot of my childhood was spent in younger man. Which is so uh, weird, the definitive Sankey part, too, but anyway. It is weird. <laughs> the definitive Sankey, the sequel. The sequel. The, the, uh, I spent so much time alone with a deck of cards and a book of matches and coins in a basement growing up, and, and even as a younger man and traveling the world. My second, I, I'm very excited about a sense of community, shared identity, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's going to be much more, and it's right on track. A lot of people do this in the second part of their lives. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to end with a quote. Do you want to, do you want to tell us any, uh, about a new project? Nah, no? Nah, no, no. So in Beyond Secrets, you quote John Kenneth Galbraith, and you say that, quote, all successful revolutions are the kicking in of a rotten wooden door. Close quote. It's, I mean, it's a great book for a lot of reasons. It's a great book for magicians. It's a great book if you can find it out there to just read. Uh, but what, a, what an awesome quote. What's uh, any, any rotten doors that you're standing in front of right now currently, other than, say, you know, the, uh, the, the stayed and true magician's uh, stereotype? Um, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm after, I wrote a book years and years ago called The Community of Life. And it was uh, years ago. And I recently cracked open the manuscript, took a look wow. at it, and edited it, and I'm finally going to release it online um, and through Kindle and a few other things. And so, and uh-huh. that, and that speaks directly, uh, directly to issues of uh, shared identity and uh, how wounding uh, bring uh, the illusion of separation and where does oh, the illusion yeah. come from and those themes. So that would be maybe another. I wouldn't call it a rotten door I want to kick through, but that's something else I have a lot of passion for that I think does speak uh, does one contrary to. Uh, uh, a bunch of pretty popular ideas about division. Cool. Well, listen, thanks for spending uh, some time with us today. And it's sankeymagic.com for those of you who are interested. That's S A N K E Y magic.com. Thanks, Jay. Oh, thank you so much, David. I, I can't tell you how uh, it's flattering and gracious, and uh, I appreciate your candor and your interest. Uh, it means a great deal to me. Yeah, we, I wish we had more time. And maybe we'll have to do, you know, part two. That'd be great, buddy. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you.